Just a reminder as you're joining us online that we do have a group called Together. So if you're like curious or have other questions of this sermon around this topic, uh, please feel free to like that group on Facebook and we will uh, discuss and can chat in that group. It's kind of a great way to facilitate further reflection and dialogue. So as we're thinking about this series, right, the seismic questions, we've talked about why do we exist? Why is life so hard? Why doesn't God stop the pain? And this week, it's like, okay, well, if God really does exist, if there is a God, who is God? And we ask it in all kinds of ways. We ask this question or we speak of an answer in very different ways. But as we're getting into it, one thing we have to keep in mind is that language, all language is metaphorical. All language is trying to describe something. And so that at some point, metaphors always kind of break down. And it's not to say that we shouldn't try to figure this out. Okay, so if all language is metaphorical, that means how we talk about God, we are talking in metaphor. And it could make us go, well, what's the point then? But it helps us and gives us new aspects, new things to think about, new ways of maybe encountering or engaging in. And so it's actually a really thoughtful process when we recognize that. And when we recognize that, wait a minute, you know, this has been used to describe God, but but there are all these other things. Maybe we should pay attention to this more than that. So all kinds of things can come up in that way. And as we're engaging in this conversation this morning, this thing of, okay, how are we asking that question? When do we hit on it? You know, we hit on this, maybe we think about, well, okay, it happens more when things aren't going my way, when things are not exactly as I would like them, or we're trying to make sense because we don't understand what's happening around us. We also ask this question of, well, what are the descriptors of God? How is God at work in the world? If there is a God, what does that mean for me today? We describe or hit on it when we think about, is there a greater good? Is there something more than this moment? Or even when we talk about the universe, you know, it seems like the universe is drawing to us. We are using all those kinds of things around this question of who is God. And the biblical text, all of it is very much along those lines. And even in the story we're going to look at today of Moses encountering God in a burning bush and this conversation that begins to happen of realizing that those encounters with God or how God is leading, who God is, is constantly asked throughout the Bible. The psalmist is writing around this topic, writing like, who is God? What's God doing? What's God to me? What is God going to do? It's this kind of like pondering. And then first John, which is written, really, we could get, uh, it's one of those things where Exodus is written early and first John is written so late. You know, we're easily looking at stories that could be two to 3,000 years apart 
at least a couple, maybe written about 1,200, give or take a little, apart. And so to begin to think about, or a thousand years, to begin to think about that, of how they hit on different aspects, but it's really asking the same question of who is God. So we're going to start in Exodus, the third chapter, verses 13 through 14. Moses said to God, if I now come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, What's his God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. To say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. 1 John 4, 12 through 13. No one has ever seen God. If we love each other, God remains in us and his love is made perfect in us because he has given us a measure of his spirit. All right, so here we've got Moses has seen something, this burning bush. He had already fled Egypt. He has been many years outside of Egypt. He was once a prince of Egypt. He was raised in Pharaoh's house as a son of Pharaoh, even though he wasn't. And situation causes him to flee, to move to the land of Midian. And he's out there. He's tending sheep. He's not necessarily thinking about back to where he grew up, how he was raised. He's, you know, he's moved on. And here this encounter, this uh, story of a burning bush. And we need to think about that story as something very powerful and unique. Like Moses is like, what in the world is going on? And so this conversation begins. And Moses is also asking, who are you? Who is this God? Who am I supposed to talk about? You want me to go back to Egypt. You want me to go back to a situation that wasn't good. You want me to go back to help these people. And so how am I supposed to explain why I've shown back up? And so in this conversation, which is important to remember, this is a conversation. It's not exactly a decree, but a conversation of Moses wrestling with this sense of, I need to go back and I need to help. And as the conversation happens with God, right, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, what's important about that statement, first off, that does give us a sense, okay, I am who I am. There's a, a sense of solid, of, of maybe strength, of consistency about God. But it's important to note that the Hebrew can also be translated as I will be whom I will be, which says, you know, depending upon the circumstance, depending upon the situation, that I can be who I need to be to help. And so to begin to kind of think about that, that even with a different translation, it still gives us a different aspect, a different way of kind of contemplating who is God? Is there a consistency? When is there a consistency to who God is? When does God kind of shift and change to help us in all of our unique circumstances? Right? All of us are unique. All of us have different situations we have to navigate. And so it's kind of one of those things of we want God to help us in our unique situation. And so how is God helping in ways that are different and yet still being consistent. The other thing is, so say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. So here we get something else, right? 
we actually get another aspect of God, that God is calling Moses to be part of this work. Moses is not a puppet. And so often we get like the mythology with the Greek gods, the, the Roman gods, the, the different gods of nature where it's this sense of I am going to control you. I am going to, to use you as a pawn. And here we get an aspect of God where it's like you have been sent. You are coming alongside in this work. And so Moses is being asked, is being guided, is thinking about, wait a minute, how can I go back and help in this situation? How can I help the people, the Israelites? How can I explain why all of a sudden I've gotten this nudge, this, this guidance to do something helpful to bring the Israelites out of Egypt to a new life, to a new way of living, of being. And what's important also to remember is God doesn't ask this of Moses right after he leaves Egypt. Now, it says in the, in the text, it says 40 years, which 40 just means complete. It's like a complete time has happened. Moses has been away for a long time, for enough time to strengthen Enough time to kind of go, wait a minute, who am I? How am I? What can I do? Enough time to be led by God in a new way. That it wasn't an immediate, but instead took some time. And then with 1 John, kind of hitting on all of this, of the different aspects of God that we get in just these couple of verses. God remains in us and his love is made perfect in us because he has given us a measure of the Spirit. God's love is in Moses. God's love is in us. God's love, we've been given this measure of God's Spirit within us, of kind of nudging, of guiding, of taking us to new places, of helping us to understand how we can impact and be good, where of how we can be helpful in the world around us. So different aspects of God here that kind of move us away from that sense of being a pawn, of, of being controlled, of being like tested, but instead a conversation of inviting us into new ways of living and working in the world. Continuing on in verse 15 of chapter 3, God continued to say, Continued, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestor, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how all generations will remember me. First John 4, 16, we have known and have believed the love that God has for us. God is love and those who remain in love remain in God and God remains in them. All right, so first up, this sense of this conversation of say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God has sent me to you. So this sense of I have been present for, that I have been with you all. And to make them reflect upon the stories from Abraham, the stories of Isaac, the stories of Jacob, of going, well, okay, how do we... How did they experience God? 
So a sense of looking to the past so that we might recognize something in the present. And so thinking about how God calls to Abraham and how Abraham keeps screwing up time and time again. And Abraham's like, no, I'm going to do it my way. And God's like, hey, okay, forgiveness and mercy, different way of living. I encourage a different way, love and mercy when you keep choosing not to. Or with Isaac with giving a blessing, even though Isaac was tricked into the blessing, but uh, of thinking through, how did God connect to Isaac? Or with Jacob, which has a whole lot of story around it, where Jacob wrestles with God. Jacob is all about deception, and then he wrestles, and then it begins to kind of shift him, to kind of turn him in new and different ways. And so the ways that God interacted, the stories of how God interacted with them, of thinking through how those got passed down through the generations, and now we get this story of Moses and the Israelites, and God's like, remind them about those ways. Remind them about how I have been here all along. So that sense of I am, that consistency, that presence, but then also how God was with them in very different ways, in the ways that they needed to begin to move towards a different kind of living and being. So I will be whom I will be to move people where they need to go. And then with the first John, God is love and those who remain in love remain in God and God remains in them. So even like reflecting back and taking that through, God is love, an aspect of God. And that when we kind of are like, where is God? Who is God? What's God about? That we get to come back to certain things and go, well, wait a minute. It says God is love. What does that mean? What does that begin to look like? Well, how did God love with Moses? How did God love with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And so to begin to even think about in our own lives, of people who say, you know, I, I, I think God is with me. Well, how is God with you? That we begin to learn and converse with one another, to learn different aspects of what all of this means, that all of our stories are very important to understanding and acknowledging and pushing us and challenging us in ways that maybe we hadn't thought about before, ways that maybe are kind of difficult, Ways that make us go, hmm. Because Moses is being made uncomfortable. He's established his life in this way. And here God's calling to him of saying, you can help. I know it's scary, but I will be with you. I will be with you. Continuing on. Oh, oh my goodness. Continuing on in Exodus, the, 16th, or the third chapter, verses 16 through 11. Go and get Israel's elders together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me. The Lord said, I've been paying close attention to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt. I've decided to take you away from the harassment in Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites and the Jebusites, a land full of milk and honey. 
Psalm 25, 16 through 17. Turn to me. God, have mercy on me because I'm alone in suffering. My heart's troubles keep getting bigger. Set me free from distress. So what's notice here? Notice we get yet another aspect of God, of how God is relating. That there is this relationship of concern and care. I've been paying close attention to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt. So God is listening to us. I've decided to take you away from the harassment in Egypt. I've decided to guide you in a different direction. It's this sense that God is leading, God is guiding, God is nudging. Not God is controlling. You know, I've said this before about love, about how love doesn't control, about how when we love one another, it is a sense of encouragement and support that love doesn't mean we grab hold and grab tight. And so God's like, wait a minute, there is another way of living and being. There are even others to live among. The Hittites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, all, all of those names that, that we are like, how do we pronounce those? It's this sense of new possibility, of guiding us and shifting us and putting on us on paths that maybe we didn't even expect. And so here we're starting to get yet that aspect of who is God? God is guiding us away from those things, that harassment, that are destructive of life and leading us and guiding us in new directions, into new possibilities, maybe even living and learning amongst new people, people we've never even expected, people who are part of this amazing creation of God. And here, my heart of the psalmist, my heart troubles my heart's troubles keep getting bigger. Set me free from my distress. That setting us free from our distress is about guiding us through into new places. You know, last week we talked about how God doesn't take away the pain, that that's not what is promised, but that God will lead us through it. That God will give us the strength to be led through. And so here... Moses is hearing from God. Moses is like listening and going, okay, the, the Israelites need a new way of living and being in this world. And it is gonna not, it's not going to be an easy journey every step of the way. But here we are. Here, here we are going. We are getting into the uncomfortable so that our life might be abundant. This term of being led to a land full of milk and honey, a land full of abundance, of sweetness, of goodness, a sense that God wants and is leading us to have an abundant life. Now, does that mean it's an easy life? No, but it means we know where to focus ourselves. It means we know where to kind of pay attention where we're like, wait a minute, what is the blessing here? Where is the goodness? Where is God working? What new way of thinking and being in the world am I coming to 
that says, you know what, the harassment in Egypt, the destructive, the bad, the painful, is not all that there is. That there is, there is an abundance, if we're willing to pay attention, if we're willing to notice around us and how we are being called to it. Because we have a God who seems to be concerned with abundance and us having a life that is thriving. This foundational story of who the Israelites are, this identity that is given through this story is starting out with, I am present, I am with, and I am guiding to a new place, to a new way of living and being in the world that connects to thriving and abundance that connects to the good things of love, that connects to the good things of how the destructive ways, the actions of others do not reduce us because God is with us. So who is God, right? Yet another aspect. Who is God to the Israelites, to Moses, to us? Who, who is God in this, in this life's journey? Where is the abundance? Where is the thriving? Where is the living well? Where is the refocusing so that we might know a little more? Continuing on in verses 18 through 19. They will accept what you say to them. Then you, and the Israel, then you and Israel's elders will go to Egypt's king and say to him, The Lord, the Hebrews, God has met with us, so now let us go on a three-day journey into the desert so that we can offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. However, I know that Egypt's king won't let you go unless he's forced to do it. Psalm 25, 20 through 21 Please protect, protect my life. Deliver me. Don't let me be put to shame because I take refuge in you. Let integrity and virtue guard me because I hope in you. All right. So here we get this conversation where God's like to Moses, it is not going to be easy. Like you guys are going to try. You're going to go to the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, and you're going to ask. And Pharaoh's going to go, ha! What are you guys talking about? Because Pharaoh has a different way of operating and being in this world. Pharaoh is very concerned about power and wealth. He is concerned about control. He is concerned about holding the status quo the way he thinks it should be. And this is a request that, that is one of those that hits on his control, hits on his power, hits on ultimately on his wealth. Yeah, let us go and do this. And it's like, and Pharaoh thinks he's a god. That's also important to note. Pharaoh thinks he's a god. And so here this conversation goes. God says to Moses, I know he's not going to do it. It's a sense of how well God knows us. A sense of how God knows the things that we struggle with, 
the things that consume us, the things that we focus on in life, which is so often why in scripture we get, I am asking you to refocus. I am asking you to be guided in different directions because your focus is actually detrimental to self and to everyone around you. And we're going to get that with the story of Pharaoh, Egypt, and the way that the people are let go, that it's a sense that because of Pharaoh's sense of having to control everything, having to hold all the power, having to be God to everyone, that it isn't only destructive for him, but it's destructive for the people around him. It's destructive for the Egyptians. And here, God is calling to Moses saying, I understand, I know, I know it's not going to be easy. I know how Pharaoh is going to react. How God knows us, our deepest things, and how God knows where we struggle, the things that we hold on to. And so who is this God that knows us? And then the psalmist, please protect my life, deliver me, don't let me put to shame because I take refuge in you. And this is where we have to hear this. Let integrity and virtue guard me because I hope in you. So when we're thinking about where is God guiding, where is God leading, the psalmist here really puts it into some good words, really puts it into like we need to think about let integrity and virtue guard me because I hope in you. So integrity and virtue for the psalmist, that it isn't about, okay, so we're going to uh, get the military up, we're going to get more power, we're going to get more control and show that Pharaoh. No, a sense of how we leave, how we go, how we start on this journey of life, how I'm going to conduct myself, my reactions, my words, how is virtue and integrity about that? Because that's where God is. God's in things like that. God's in things like hope. God's in the things of love. God is in the things that not only are directed at how do I thrive, but how does everyone around us begin to thrive? And so to think about that, of God protecting the Israelites in integrity and virtue, of protecting the Israelites in ways maybe we don't think about protection. And so to really challenge the status quo of who we think God is, how we think God should act, how we think God should be when, and to kind of challenge those notions challenge our ways of perceiving and understanding that it may not be exactly what we expect. Finishing up in chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. So I'll use my strength and hit Egypt with dramatic displays of power. After that, he'll let you go. I'll make it so that when you leave Egypt, the Egyptians will be kind to you and you won't go away empty-handed. Psalm 104, 24 and 27. Lord, you have done so many things. You made them so also wisely. The earth is full of your creations. All your creations wait for you to give them their food on time. So I will use, you know, we, we probably heard this, right? Because of everything we're talking about. So I'll use my strength and hit Egypt with dramatic displays of power. And after that, 
Pharaoh will let you go. And you may be like, man, dramatic displays of power, which immediately in our 21st century minds may go to, again, that sense of control, that sense of power over one another, of how much damage can we do to get you to relent. And what's important to know is that, yes, there, there are going to be this story of the plagues, the 10 plagues. What's interesting about those stories, though, is that here we have uh, the Egyptians who are like, okay, the gods are in nature. Pharaoh is a god, is considered a god. And so this sense of God being in nature, God is in control because we, because of that relationship, Egyptians and the gods of nature. And so the dramatic displays of power are to actually show how their gods of nature aren't. How you are worshiping the wrong thing. Or a pharaoh who is like, I am my own god and I control everything. And so the dramatic displays of power are like, pharaoh, you do not have all the control. You are not a god. You are not this all-powerful who says, I shall destroy you or not. Life and death doesn't belong to you, O Pharaoh. And so really the story is about getting Pharaoh to realize, getting Pharaoh and the others to realize, who is God? Is God all about using nature to hurt others, to control others? No, because God is moving the people, moving the Israelites and calling to them and saying, we are going on a journey to a life that is thriving, to a life that is new, that offers new possibilities. Notice how God doesn't say, hey, Moses, okay, so you guys are going to exact revenge. Like, so you're going to raise them up and you're going to help them fight the Egyptians. You're going to go after them. And then maybe, maybe we're going to put you on the throne, Moses, because Moses was a prince of Egypt. He was raised in Pharaoh's house as a son. And so Moses could lead a coup, but that is not the story of how God is guiding. God is guiding into new possibilities. And so here we're getting yet another aspect of who God is, of how God is guiding the people. And the psalmist, Lord, you've done so many things. You made them all so wisely. The earth is full of your creations. Of thinking about how we are all connected by a God of abundance, a God of generosity, a God of mercy, compassion, forgiveness, a God who's like, wait a minute, why aren't we living well with one another? Why aren't we helping one another? Why aren't we being that healing presence? Why aren't we being that encouragement? Why aren't we engaging in conversation that leads us to new realms, to new possibilities? We have a God who enlivens our imagination. And so to begin to think about, as we're going through, of we're trying to think about who God is, of shifting us away from a God who is all about control, because that is not love, who's all about power, over that is detrimental, but a God who is a liberator, 
The story of the Israelites is one of liberation, of bringing them to new possibilities. And so to think about that for ourselves, of how do we think about God as liberator in our lives, of bringing us to new understandings, of helping us to live into virtue and integrity, of helping us to live into love, of healing. How do we think of God as liberating us in possibility? And so this story of Exodus, of Moses and the Israelites, those verses out of 1 John, out of the psalmist, are all trying to give us little glimpses, little bits of aspects of what is possible, who God is possibly. And so that sense of being challenged by, of realizing something new, of taking it in for ourselves instead of giving up on the conversation or saying, eh, what does it really matter? But instead doing it so that we are enlivened in our imaginations, we are enlivened in our lives to begin to live a little different, to begin to see possibilities where none were, to begin to know that when we cry out to God, it is heard. We may be on a new journey, see new paths, take new steps, maybe even get a little bit uncomfortable with where we are going because God is guiding. And so who is God? What are we challenged to understand about who God is this day? Amen. 